the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever. And this week, filling in for Quincy is uh, my good buddy, uh, writer, and all-around outstanding person, Mallory O'Meara. Hi! How's it going? Very good. I love Rank and File, so I'm very excited oh, that I'm oh, on this podcast. Oh, go on then. I, that's honestly, I, I feel like I'm, uh, I, I should uh, be me and Quincy, where I'm like holding up a mask and just <laughs> sort of like, it's me, Quincy, which I would say before everything that I said. Or you um, could do an Evil Dead style where Quincy's just a second head on your <laughs> shoulder. <laughs> exactly. Constantly yeah. disagreeing with you, but also being charming. Which, I, th- that is actually the show, is that he's, he is charming and also we mostly disagree about movies. Um, so, Mallory, what uh, what ghoul shit have you been uh, sort of consuming lately or reading or, or otherwise sort of uh, lately? So, uh, we just got, we're recording this on November 1st, so I just got out of October. In October, I read only horror, which is the only month I allow myself to do that. It's like, right. you know, when you let yourself eat the entire pint of ice cream when you normally only let yourself have half. Exactly. Uh, I read a lot of good horror books this month, but one of, two of my favorites were I read two books by this Irish horror author named Dorothy McArdle. Oh, yeah, I've heard of them. The Uninvited and The Unforeseen. There's this great Irish press called Tramp Press, and they take recovered, marginalized voices and reprint them. Like, things that have gone out of print. And Dorothy McArdle is this amazing Irish female, like, horror author. And both of her books, The Unforeseen and The Uninvited, went out of print, but they're incredible. They're just, like, wonderful, solid ghost stories. They're scary, and they're wonderful, and I think they are now available in the U.S., they're very handsome. <laughs> right, which honestly, a good addition, it goes a long way for me. I'm very, I'm very shallow. I like a, I like a nice book. So I like, I loved both of them so much. I very rarely will read two books by the same author in a row because I like to stretch it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I read both of them. I couldn't. I just inhaled them. They're amazing. Well, and that's amazing because I think about how like binge watching has affected the way we consume things. Yes. Because I there are certain things that I've uh, like Twin Peaks, I realized like rewatching the original series, which I I just turned into an actual owl when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, I I, uh, I wonder what it's like uh, what it was like back in the day to just like catch a new episode of Twin Peaks every week as it was airing and trying to figure out in real time what the fuck is going on with that show. Well it's interesting because we got a little bit of that last year mm-hmm. but we also have the internet. Right. Which makes it, I don't feel, I mean, we got to, it got dosed out every week, but then we got to have Twitter. Yeah. And then you have that one guy who lives in a basement and goes through scene by scene and frame by frame. So, yeah. it, it's not quite like they had it in the 90s. Right. Which I kind of respect the guy that does the deep dives on those. I love him so much. Yeah. I never want to be around him. No, at any point. And I don't want him to know where I live, but I love him from afar. <laughs> yeah, I would I would never shake his hand because of what I my hand might come away with, but I would love to make eye contact Cheetos with him. Cheetos and cum. Yeah, exactly. Cheetos, that, it's Cheetos, cum, and flop sweat. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's that, that uh, uh, unguent yes. of, of, of things. Um, but, so, uh, you have a book about... I'm doing a dance, and I don't know why. It's, it's a great dance. I, guys, it's, 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 it's very elbows I and do very this hands. Con- I also have a podcast, and I'm constantly gesturing. I'm like, no one can appreciate well, this. Well, so first of all, you should plug your podcast. Uh, tell tell the, lis- uh, the Rank and Vile listeners about your podcast. So, uh, I do a podcast every week with my co-host, Bria Grant, which many you folks have talked about on the show. She was in Beyond uh, the Gate. She's in a lot of horror stuff, but absolutely. she's also a brilliant uh, director and writer, and my podcast co-host uh, is called Reading Glasses. It's a half-hour show where we 
talk about books without reviewing books. Mm-hmm. We talk about reading. So you, it doesn't matter what you read. It doesn't matter how you read it. It doesn't matter what you're into. You can listen to Reading Glasses because we're more talking about, like, what's the best book light? How do you get stickers off a book? What's the best way to support authors without going broke? Which which is amazing because it's like a mug of hot cocoa, your oh, podcast. Like it's you. just It gives me this feeling of, like, you know what? God damn it. It's all going to be okay. Like, this is... Well, and also, like, Beyond the Gates, like, even, like, the, the podcast art for Rankin Vile is just a parody of Beyond the Gates with me and Quincy with Tinkerbell's like head that movie. in place of Barbara Crampton. Yeah, I mean, also Barbara Crampton goes a long way. Yes. I think for me. Barbara Crampton's like garlic. You can just put her in anything and you're like, oh, this is better. <laughs> exactly right. Um, so the book you have coming out, uh, let's, holy shit, I am so fucking excited. Guys, all right, so rank of my listeners who might not know, I'm so excited that you now get to know about the book coming out from Mallory uh, called Lady from the Black Lagoon. Yes, so I'm very excited that, A, we're talking about Am I allowed to spoil it? Oh, please. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> oh, anybody who's clicked is like, oh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. So we're talking about uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon in this episode. It's one of my favorite monster movies. I'm a huge monster nerd. And a lot of people don't know that the person who designed the creature was a woman named Millicent Patrick. And Mil- most people don't know who Millicent Patrick is because after the Creature from the Black Lagoon came out and she went on a big tour to promote it, the guy who hired her and was her boss in the Universal Monster Shop was so jealous of the uh, recognition she was getting that he fired her, blacklisted her, and she never worked behind the scenes in Hollywood ever again. No one knew what happened to her, and she's been my hero for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a biography of her life, and it's also mixed in with a memoir of my work in the film industry, in the same industry that she's in. So like, oh, cool. It's so easy to be like, oh, yeah, this really sad thing happened to this lady 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. What a bummer. But it's still happening right fucking now. Right. It's not like Frozen and Amber as a totally isolated incident. Like, no, no. this is a microcosm for how women in the industry have been treated, especially in horror. Yes. Literally especially in oh, horror. Oh, fuck. So it's uh, if you're interested in Creature from the Black Lagoon or film or feminism or really bad fish dick jokes. Oh, I'm li- li- any any listener of this you're like, podcast. Ding ding ding. Yeah, yeah. Any any listener of this podcast, big fan of fish fucking jokes. They're like, I actually don't like monster movies, but I love fish dicks. Well, so I mean, give me I, your book. I, I think we all like a, a healthy fish dick now and again. And like Mills and Patrick, um, I think when I was learning about Mills and Patrick, because I also. A, I was furious at myself for having never heard of Millicent Patrick before meeting you. Don't be, it's not your fault. Oh, no, but, like, and then I was furious that I didn't know about that. Apparently, like, what, the guy that um, gave himself all the credit for it's having like designed Westmore. that motherfucker. Um, and, like, the studio had initially been, like, billing her as, what, the beauty that created the Beast or it something? It started as the beauty that created the Beast, and Bud Westmore was so mad about that that it, she got rebuilt as the beauty who lived with the Beast. What's this, that they cohabitated? As if she was, like, their roommate that had to clean their piss off the toilet seat and, like, dust off the mummy. Fuck's sake. So, and it got, but even that made him mad. Oh, he couldn't even have that. He like, couldn't that even, was... yeah, because people, people loved her so much and figured out very quickly that she must have designed it. Uh, so he was like, while the tour was going on, he was actively working to get her fired. Um, so ideally, he's bunking with Joseph Stalin in hell. Uh, so, but the you know what the funny part is? His grandnephew is the guy who works at Bevmo and sells me my liquor. How fucking crazy <laughs> is that? <laughs> Um, that's the greatest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Quick story, I uh, am a cocktail nerd and I go to BevMo quite frequently mm-hmm. and me and my partner, Alan, were there buying booze and I had a creature pin on my lapel and <laughs> the guy, like, bagging my stuff, he's a very nice man, uh, he was like, oh, creature from the Black Lagoon, did you know a guy named Bud Westmore designed it? And my partner, Alan, oh like, immediately, like, his head whipped around exorcist style at me <laughs> and I was like, 
Oh, I know who Bud Westmore is. He starts speaking backwards Latin, vomiting <laughs> pea soup. It's the whole thing. Basically, and yeah. uh, and he was, and I was like, oh, I'm writing a book that's about creature from the black lagoon. He's like, and I gave him my email because he was like, oh, I would love to talk to you about my my grand uncle. You know, I'm part of the Westmore family. He never emailed me. If true, <laughs> and then I saw him form. again two weeks later, and he was like, oh. Yeah, I never emailed you, huh? So it's hereditary, not being shit. Yeah. So yeah. I get, a, I, I would be lying if I didn't get some sort of petty satisfaction from the fact that he's the one who sells me my booze. Absolutely. That's and, and don't get me wrong, selling somebody booze, a fine and noble profession. Yes. But also, at least there's not like a dynasty mm-hmm. of uh, people like built on the bones of women who are uncredited. Like mm, there is at least well no there is but the, at least in reference to this this family. guy yes yeah. uh so well oh the the Westmores still do beauty stuff okay because fun fact guess who designed Barbie's makeup Don't. Bud Westmore okay um. so it's just like yeah there's a whole history of the rest of the Westmores are fine you can read the, the I go very deep into the Westmore uh, mm-hmm. family history in, in the book it's fucking crazy holy shit uh but millicent when i started uh looking into her life did so much more than creatures she worked on a ton of movies both both animated and live action really deserves her place in cinematic history so Mm -hmm. if people are interested in that you can pre-order it right now the cover just got dropped and i'm super stoked about it because it's like everything that monster nerd me ever wanted oh yeah actually honestly like like i'm not even blowing smoke here when i think of monster nerd i think think of you specifically because of how much you fucking love the universal monsters yes like and i i kind of came to the universal monsters like late in life because like bride of frankenstein was one of like the first episodes of rank and vile i had never seen bride of frankenstein before and so like in my adult life i'm like going back through and watching all of it bride of frankenstein is amazing because of how it opens with like mary shelley getting mansplained by fucking lord byron who is just like it's this actor is digesting the scenery where he's just like I'm fucking Lord Byron. He's yeah. like doing fucking. He's just rubbing his balls all over the furniture. All over the furniture, all over Mary Shelley, who's just like sitting there, sort of looking long suffering and patient, and like, yes, Lord Byron, I sure did do a Frankenstein, and it's just, yeah, and so she's Creature- like, oh, listen, bitch, I'm gonna invent a genre on your ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, so Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, I also, um, I had initially had this take on it where I was like. It's like the yummy mummy of, like, serial monsters <laughs> for Universal Monsters. Like, you've got the Wolfman, you've got Dracula, these are the heavy hitters, and then, you know, the Junior Varsity yeah. creature from the Black Invisible Man. Invisible Phantom. Man, right, Phantom. Um, Mask of the Red Death, kind of, maybe? With some price? Oh, that's not even... For me, like, my pantheon is always, like, Bride, Frankenstein, right. Dracula, Wolfman, Creech, Invisible Man, exactly. Phantom. Which, uh, honestly, uh, having um, rewatched The Invisible Man, I'm realizing how much of that movie is just, like, verbal abuse from Claude Rains. Like, yeah. It's, it's weird. Yeah. And, like, what's, it's, like, I rewatch them quite frequently. One of my favorite things to do when I write is just leave old monster movies on in the background. Hell yeah. Especially, like, really shitty ones. Oh, yeah. But sometimes I have good ones on. The and... Abominable Dr. Fives. Just, like, throw that oh, on. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, or, or like I'm talking really bad like Attack of the Crab Monster like Ryder Corman Corman like, oh, oh this is a very pro-Corman <laughs> podcast like we and not even pro-Corman as in Corman makes good movies just we love Roger Corman oh yeah give garbage. me that garbage yeah it's like dumping, put it in my face exactly like, it's me dumping out a hefty bag full of his garbage and rolling around in it oh just, yeah like, you immediately become a raccoon ex- yeah we're, like, we're all we're all Roger Corman's raccoons now um, and so Creature from the Black Lagoon um, holy shit this movie's incredible Incredible. It actually, that's the surprising thing. So you're rewatching all of them and like, you know, when you're watching them now, you should be looking at them with like a more feminist view, just like a more like 
woke, like, non-shitty garbage person Absolutely. View. And Creature, of all of them, is actually one of the least shitty. It's still not great, mm-hmm. but I think Julie Adams is one of the most strong, badass heroines well, yeah. in the universal, like, she's she's not a doctor. She's the only person on that crew that is not a doctor, which bothers me, but uh-huh. she's still a scientist. Right. She still gets to do something. She, like, has a moment where she fights the creature herself. Mm-hmm. She's not totally, like, a, I'm just gonna you know those cats that you pick up and they immediately flop in your arms yeah they just go okay yes a lot of this horror movie heroines are like that they just and and not again anything against scream queens that's the way they're written right uh which and they you can only do so much with a misogynistic script it's yeah just, like you just pick them up and they flop and they scream julia mm-hmm. adams k lawrence actually gets to do some things and you're watching them you're yes. like this isn't bad, and it's shot well. Well, agree. Yeah, I mean, especially for the fact that, like, for science fiction in the 1950s, which, I mean, a lot of it, I remember um, when I was a kid, I my uh, I, I was staying with my dad for the summer, and he had these old VHS tapes from the 50s for Commando Cody, which was this, like, old serial that used to run, and any of the, uh, the women on this thing had, like, two jobs. It was to fetch things and to faint. So uh, you're a dog with breasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're basically a titted gopher at this yes. point. And it's like, these are the things that you do. And so, uh, like, in this movie, the way that she... I've noticed the, like... So, having rewatched it, I feel like all of the scientists uh, that are not her are constantly, like, they've got their balls flopping out, they're in the swamp, yes. and they're trying to, like, sort of subdue the environment. And a lot of it feels like sort of like, we're men of science, we're going to figure out the creature from the Black Lagoon, and they just completely fuck the couch. Yes. The entire movie. And she's the one who, throughout, is kind of telling them, like, uh, I think we're fucking up here. Like, she's basically the Ripley character, where, like, yes. she's the one who doesn't want to break quarantine. Or she's the one sort of trying to tell them, like, I think you guys need to do a little bit more sort of reconnaissance here before di- digging into the swamp. And, then and they're, they're like, I'm sorry, I can't hear you with the sound of my own balls. <laughs> I just can't. My balls are, are out. They're I can't hear you. They're together. It's like an old man eating chili. I'm just, oh, I just can't. No. Oh, no. This is, no it's, it's terrible. Oh. Um, but yeah, like, the cre- oh, see, so the creature design is fucking incredible it's so good yeah and like also the underwater scenes for the time especially they're so good i was i was marveling at how long this swimmer was able to stay underwater in this gear just swimming and holding their breath oh it's amazing so um in it so creature is what is a really really interesting universal monster and he's the only one that was ever played by two people Mm -hmm. there's riku browning who like was a diver and they hired him just for the underwater scenes and then ben chapman who did only the land scenes and Mm -hmm. that's part of why the underwater scenes look so good because they didn't just get like some fucking dude they got a a diver who could hold his breath for minutes at a time and he just looked like those the scene where creature is swimming underneath k i think is one of the most beautiful scenes ever i dream about that scene like it's one of those images that i think about which is like swimming upside down facing her and she's swimming and they're both like parallel with each other it's so so good wonderful and to me i always feel like the lagoon is just like this emotional subconscious that we have yeah and he's swimming under and he's like this force of like all of our primal emotions and all the men are just like i don't know how to i don't know what to do with this that's exactly what it is is like he's id she's super ego and the dudes are the ego where it's like they're trying to mediate this thing and she's just yeah oh my god like the 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 way that it's shot um i feel like this movie respects the creature so much because and this is pre-slasher obviously and it's 1950 so it's obviously a lot of science narratives it's a lot of sort of nuclear fears it's a lot of yes creature everyone's features. afraid of everyone's afraid of communists and everyone's afraid of technology and they're afraid of the sky you're either going to get fucked by a fish or convert to communism and yes. it's one of the these were the two things that were coming for surprise Suburbia. all the fish are communists <laughs> <laughs> this fish dick is red <laughs> and so uh, like the, the creature especially in this 
um, the, the, initially, the way that I was unfair to this movie was that I would look at sort of, uh, you know, the thing of where, like, monsters are metaphors. Yes. And so you think of how, like, you know, Dracula is a metaphor for, like... Repressed sexuality. Repressed sexuality, Western Europe's fear of a foreigner who moves in and starts buying property. Yep. You know, you look at Frankenstein as, like, a metaphor for so many different things, which, by the way, side note, side note... Did you see on Twitter that dude a few months ago who was like, I just want to start a press for non for apolitical science fiction, and it doesn't have anything to do with politics. And it was That's like, like saying gluten-free flour <laughs> made out of grain. Like, it's just, you can't separate it. I love, al- I love non-alcoholic Everclear, right? Yeah. And so you're like, and, and it was amazing because, it, you know, he was like, you know, apolitical sci-fi, and somebody asked him, like, can you name, I would love to hear this, please name an example of apolitical science fiction. And he said... Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. And I feel like as one, everybody like played turn down for what and started air, <laughs> air horning at him and screaming like, oh, you know, Frankenstein, that famously apolitical thing written by the daughter of Mary Wollstonecraft. Yeah. Like, for, for fuck's sake. Um, and so... Uh, Men on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, Airy Man has a shitty day. And so with Creature from the Black Lagoon, initially the way that I was shitty to this movie was like, well, this isn't really a metaphor for anything. It's a it's a horny frog. It's a frog that wants to fuck. And it's like... You don't want to fuck frogs, Ryan? <laughs> I mean, listen. What's we've, wrong with you? We've all fucked a frog socially. I mean, that's, you know, youthful experimentation. In college. In college, you know, we absolutely. We get curious. Yeah. And, and so, like, that was, you know... But here's the thing. is like, sure, it is about a, a, a fish who tries kidnapping a woman, but it's also... I feel like there's so much more going on in this movie. To me, it feels like repressed emotion. Uh-huh. Because you have all these guys, and they don't know what to do with this black lagoon of their thought, and all of a sudden it comes for them. Yeah, bitch. it's the failure of science in the face of the natural world. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's all these scientists who kind of... Here's the thing. You can be as much of a scientist as you want. You're still going to get eaten by a fish. Yes. Like, it's just the, 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 the lake's id does not care about you. And what's interesting about Creature from the Black Lagoon is Creature from, Creature isn't the villain. No, not even He's kind the of. Shit, the shitty scientist dude is the villain. The mm-hmm. whole time you're like, I mean, Guillermo del Toro created Shape of Water because he was, <laughs> while he was watching Chris Creature when he was a kid, he was like, well, why don't they, why don't Kay and the Creature end up together? They should clearly fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Which I honestly love that, like, Guillermo del Toro, like, and won an Academy Award for it. Oh. I cried when he won Best Director. Same. Because, I, I mean, the, literally, I, what I've heard is that Guillermo del Toro was supposed to direct, because the ill-fated Dark Universe reboot that they started oh with that terrible version of The Mummy that I don't know why they started with The Mummy. Why would you do that? Uh, yeah. He was supposed to direct Creature. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson was going to play the role of Kay Lawrence. Uh, various people were k- kicked around for mm-hmm. for uh, writing the script, and he was like, okay, cool, I'll direct it. Gave them the script that was very similar to Shape of Water. They were mm-hmm. like, this is a romantic movie, fuck you. And he was like, well, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> he pulled a Mary Shelley, he was like, alright, I'll make it myself, win Best Actor and Best Director. And he was just like, oh, this is very embarrassing. I'm fucking Guillermo del Toro. Toro like, gra- grabbed his balls at them and moonwalked out and then yep. made an Academy Award winning genre mm-hmm. film. God. And that's why Creature is so incredible, because you're watching it, and I mean, you know, every Universal Monster movie, the monster does bad things, that's the whole point of the movie, but Creature, you're like, oh, buddy, oh, I feel yeah. so bad for you, I would get mad if people came in my lagoon, I would yeah. kill you too. Yeah, yeah, it's a bunch of these science dicks just showing up, like, fucking up your natural environment, like, you're just sitting in your living room trying to hang out, Yeah. and a bunch of dickheads just come flouncing in, yelling, science, and then fucking everything up. Um, and, like, the Universal, like... Which, by the way, how did Universal fuck it up that bad with the right. Dark Universe reboot? Right. Like, because, well, and, and on the, uh, this podcast specifically, we've done I, Frankenstein, and Dracula Untold. 
Yeah, I didn't. Both I, of which I, are. I, I hate to say I skipped over those parts. Oh, oh no! You're so Frank and Violet. You're so much. Like, you're so oh, much no. smarter than we are. Because we honestly, like, I Frankenstein was one of the first movies we did on the podcast, and then Dracula Untold, um, which we made my friend Josh watch, and I, I feel like he still hasn't forgiven me for for making him watch. You need to give Josh a lot of candy for, <sighs> for Christmas. He's yeah. He's he's our, our greatest living saint. Um, but yeah, like so. Creature from the Black Lagoon as a reboot, I would kind of only trust Guillermo del Toro to do it. Mm-hmm. In the way that, like, Peter Jackson, like, his king, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of weird. I feel like there are certain movies that I kind of stand for. It's not as bad as, it's, I mean, it's not great. No. But it's not as bad as people make it out to me. I think that, mm-hmm. what's something that people fundamentally misunderstand about monster movies, especially the Universal monster movies, is they're not horror movies. No. Most of the time, they're action movies. Absolutely. So when people are like watching Peter Jackson's King Kong, you're not looking at it through the right lens. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I feel like, and, and this is kind of, um, you know, the thing where people start asking, like, what was the first modern horror movie? And I feel like frequently it's like, well, maybe The Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby or Psycho. I kind of look at Psycho as the turning point for when horror films became the thing we think of now as horror. Yeah. Because prior to that, prior to that I mean, again, like we, you know, like you said, it was like a lot of creature features. It was a lot of sort of nuclear mm-hmm. panic. Yeah. It was, you know, the thing from outer space. And like, certainly those are horror movies. And obviously like Dracula and Frankenstein are horror movies. But I feel like they weren't horror in the way that I think Psycho set the template for. Yeah. That this was the point of the thing. Yes. And ultimately that um, the fact that Psycho ended on the note that it did with Norman Bates sort of looking up at the camera, this was a horror you kind of couldn't excuse because like mm-hmm. with Dracula, you know, the threat is subdued yes. by the end of the thing. We all get to go back to our suburban homes and sleep in our nice beds. And I feel like Psycho was one of the first ones where it's like, actually, it's not okay. Yes. And it's never going to be okay because Norman Bates is out there. Yes. Um, and more people like this are out there. Before, you know, with any with, with Frankenstein, Dracula, even Wolfman. I mm-hmm. mean, yes, there are bazillion sequels, and then the Abbott and Costello movies, uh, uh, which, by the way, are totally canon. And I they're so fantastic. <laughs> I love them so much. Same. But they're de- definitely like, here's this thing. It was like a very American way of looking at things. Like, here's this bad thing that came from far away mm-hmm. or from our past, and we can't understand it, but we'll just hit it with American sticks, <laughs> and then it's dead, and we're okay. What's gonna kill Dracula? Well, good old American know-how. Yeah. That's what. And it's like, yeah, you got and a little elbow grease, Sonny. <laughs> yeah, you've got Quincy P. Morris with his fucking cowboy hat, just going, oh, "I'm gonna kill me and I'm Dracula." I'm gonna cowboy this vampire. Yeah, Cowboy the Dracula. Yeah, that's the most amazing part of Psycho is that you can still catch Norman Bates, but he's still Norman Bates. Yeah, and well, in Norman Bates, especially like, I, 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 honestly, the reveal in Psycho, I feel like it's such a well-known thing. Like we all know that Norman Bates is Norma Bates. Um, which, by the way, can I just express to you my sadness about Bates Motel as a show? Like, I've never seen it because oh, I. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, because I feel like it should have been a slam dunk that, like, I would love to see the becoming story of how Norman Bates becomes Norman Bates. Like, I would love to see that happen. And then the problem is that um, the way that um, Josh uh, Copeland described it, which I think was perfect, which was like, it's like The Wire, but in Oregon and boring, where it's like, all I wanted was psychosexual horror. And I thought it was going to be Hannibal-y. You would, that's what you would want. And then I, like, I heard it was, like, I was like, I have, I am going to die someday. Yeah. I don't have time for this. <laughs> Which is such a great take. Like, my one wild and precious life, I'm going to watch a bad Bates Motel adaptation. But I like the actors in it, so it's, it, people, that, yeah. I think it's really, really frustrating. There's so many people nowadays that, who are, re, the people who are rebooting a lot of these big franchises are just fundamentally misunderstanding them. And Completely. misunderstanding their audiences. Yeah. Yeah, well, because, like, you, I, I think it's that Bates Motel was, like, a victim of prestige TV. 
because you see it and it's like, okay, definitely there should be a subplot about weed and make about it how, really low lighting. Oh, low lighting. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. The, the lighting of like a swimming pool at night, basically. Yes. And like all of, you know, they're like corrupt cops who are on the take. And, you know, there has to be a, 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 a sexual assault in the first episode. Yes. Which, by the way, if, if it's the pilot episode of a show, don't put that shit in there. Yeah. Like, that's, you're, I think, impo- you're presuming upon your audience's goodwill too much. I feel like we should add that to the Bechtel test. It's yeah. like, two women talking to each other about something other than the man, and nobody gets sexually nobody assaulted. Nobody gets sexually assaulted. And, like, Bates Motel especially, like... You would, I mean, Vera Farmiga is, like, obviously incredible. Like, we all love Vera Farmiga. Like, she's great in The Conjuring. She's good enough in The Conjuring that you forget that the Warrens were, like, total fucking fraudsters. Yes! In real life, like, it's, that's how... That's... Fictional Warrens are so much better <laughs> than the real... Because I I read one of the Warren books. Me too. I can never take back those no. hours of my life. <laughs> no, it is a bunch of kooky nonsense. It is, it is... Kooky is the perfect word for it's it. It's fucking chicanery. And, and, like, but we all love The Conjuring, so it's It's sad like, well... that The Conjuring universe is better than The Dark Universe. <laughs> What is happening? Fuck, man. James Wan made a better thing than the, than a surefire Universal Monsters reboot series. That's like fucking up tuna salad. Like, <laughs> it's the fucking mummy, okay? Yeah. It's like, how do you fuck up a tuna? Yeah, I, like, I put uh, an entire jar of mayonnaise and half a can of tuna. Although, did you see did you see that um, video that got leaked where it was accidentally, the, the uh, they hadn't put in the sound effects oh, in the mummy trailer? And so it's just like them in an airplane just going, yeah, God, that, but like banging noises. Tom Cruise's exertion takes. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Tom Cruise trying to open a pickle jar <laughs> on a plane. It's so good. Um, but, but so Creature from the Black Lagoon, I think one of the other things is that uh, it's not, it's, I, I think honestly one of the scariest of the Universal monster movies because like Dracula has a certain, sh- a certain atmosphere. I think Frankenstein has a certain thing going on, but like Creature is one of the ones that's just like, I, the closest thing to jump scares yes. of any of the classic monsters. Especially on the boat. Like, when oh creature... Like, it's... I mean, everything is split up into the parts where they're... Where creature's coming onto the boat or when they're in the cave. It, when they're in the cave, it's not as scary because he's just kind of like... He's a large frog man and he's walking around. <laughs> uh, yeah. But we, when he's coming onto the boat mm-hmm. and, like, you know, putting it like claw hand through the Ugh. portal and attacking the doctor and yep. he's like in that weird little tank that they were trying to keep him in mm-hmm. and like gasping with his weird creature mouth oh man honestly like the way that they did the effects in creature the, oh, so good it's the suit man it's fucking incredible Ugh. like legitimately and i uh got a weird kind of claustrophobia watching the diver swimming in that suit and just imagining being in this fucking foam latex rubber suit that they had to line with lead plates lead because plates. Fo- surprise foam latex floats <laughs> so you got to you've got to stay upside down and underwater swimming parallel yes um and honestly all right so the ending of creature from the black lagoon how do you feel about the ending <sighs> it's weirdly a what bothers me is it's a happy ending, but it's not a satisfying ending. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, yeah, you know Creature's going to survive. Absolutely. Because he's Creature. Uh, but he yeah. just sinks down to the bottom, and you're like, oh, I wanted all these shitty dudes to die. That's that's the exact thing you want. It's for all these science dicks to Nobody get... Nobody learns anything. You want them to return to the loam, and, like, that's it. Like, you want them to get sucked into the swamp and kill, because it's sort of... Well, it's one of these narratives where you want nature to be so fucking indifferent to them that it's just like, of course you're dying in the swamp. Yes, you want Kay to, like, crawl out of the swamp and, like, yeah. be traumatized, but, it, like, is carrying this, like, message to humanity, but instead they're mm-hmm. like, no, creature just, like, sinks down, 
covered in bullet holes. Yeah. And by covered, I mean riddled with. You don't. <laughs> bullet holes are not a surface thing. I mean, you know, they could be. I, I feel like with the creatures, you're sort of like, oh god, like I'm you've got to wipe them off. I'm wet with bullet holes. Yeah, you've got. Yeah, I'm wet with bullet holes. You've got to like wipe them off. Yeah. Um, although, like the ending, I feel like um, I'm surprised that the creature is sort of left alive because you would think that they would want to sort of. But they you know, can't kill him. Can't they kill can't him. Down, take down nature, Sonny. I love how I turn into a grandpa when that happens. <laughs> or David Lynch. Yes. I was like, oh, you can't kill nature, Sonny. <laughs> yeah. So I do like that part about it, but it, it, it definitely feels frustrating because you're just like, oh, the, the, no one learned anything from this encounter <laughs> except get more guns. Yeah, guns. Yeah, that's it's literally just get you know load up with some uh, uh, some 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 cool heteros. Go to the swamp with your guns. Yeah. Kill a fish creature. Yeah. That's all you can do. And also, I will point out, you don't have to watch the sequels. No. You just don't need to do that. They're very bad. I they're think, fu- like uh, they're fine to leave in the background while I write. There we go. Actually, I feel like there's a certain genre of movie, which is this is a movie that if you own a bar. You leave on yes. silently on a TV. If you go to the, the red door in Burbank, the red door in Burbank, <laughs> yes, and have and it's in black and white behind everybody, and no one can hear what was happening in the movie. Totally fine. Yep, because you don't really need to, because it's like, oh, you can just kind of see on screen, like, oh, fish guy, and you just sort of nod. Yeah, you're and like, like, oh, a thing is happening. Cool. You're having a drink, and it's like, oh, this is fine, I guess. Um, but okay, so if we're looking on the list, um, so let's uh, so looking at the list right now. Where would you want to start as a movie that you know it is definitely better than? Ooh. Oh, your Green Room is so good. Mm-hmm. It's definitely better than Final Destination. Oh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> so wait, you're, you're saying that Creature is better than Devin Sawa emoting. <laughs> Just let's, let's, let's put the bar on the ground. Um, you know, it's hard when you have Lynch movies on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's, all right, Folks so... Folks listening don't know, but I am so obsessed with David Lynch <laughs> that it's actually, like, you can look it up in, in on WebMD <laughs> as a disease. Well, it's, it's frequently a problem where, like, we'll be hanging out, and then the two, the two of us will start talking about David Lynch, and then it's like, we have to, like, so, no, okay, okay, so, stop talking about Lynch and move on to something else. Let's put it around Mulholland Drive. All right, so uh, better or worse, and I'm so sorry to make you choose between your two children, but Mulholland Drive or Creature uh, from it's, the it's Black Lagoon. It's not as good as Mulholland Drive. Not as good. I would agree. But that's... I mean, I am obsessed with Creature because I love it as a monster movie and I love the cheesiness of it. Right. Mulholland Drive is Mulholland. It's Lynch. It's Mulholland Drive. You're asking right. me to choose, like, Which you, it's like the good son. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta let that bad kid fall. Hey, you know, sorry, kiddo. You're, I'm dropping you off a rocky crag. I'm gonna have to go to therapy for the rest of my life, but I'm dropping that shitty kid. I, I gotta let you die, but Elijah Wood is prettier, so yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Look at those baby blues. Look at those baby blues. Yeah, exactly. We're all, yeah, susceptible. So, all right, so Suspiria or... So, orig- OG Suspiria, because I still have not seen uh, the recent remake. So, OG Suspiria or Creature from the Black Lagoon? Suspiria. Yeah. yeah. I feel like i got to put Suspiria above yeah. Creature. However, I am... It's, I think it's better than Mask of the Red Death. I, just, I feel like the soul of Vincent Price might come and, like, haunt me, which I actually am kind of excited about. Oh, I would... I would uh, actually, if uh, any of our listeners know of a way to sacrifice something and get the ghost of Vincent Price to hang out with me, hit me up. I, every, I, I have a black satin dressing gown, <laughs> and every day I sit at my vanity and hope that he will just come out of the mirror. Yes! <laughs> which, honestly... That's all I want. Which, which, by the way... All right, so uh, coming in at our new number 56, uh, underneath Suspiria and above the Mask of the Red Death with Vincent Price is Creature from the Black Lagoon. I'm, I'm happy with that placement. I also feel really good about that. Also, it kills me that Vincent Price um, used to refer to... He, was, he loved roller coasters and would, would refer to them as rolly coasters. 
We weren't. We did not deserve Vincent, uh, Vincent Price. I, w- I, I, the world I, did not deserve him. I would sell my organs for for if if, if Vincent Price needed a full body transplant <laughs> and needed all of my organs, it would be like. Ryan, I feel like you're kind of close fine. to that already. <laughs> <laughs> you're real it's, close. Yeah, being yeah, Vincent Price. That's yeah. So, all right, so yeah, so 56. And so the uh, the next thing we're talking about... Uh, all right, uh, all right, all right. I'm sad we're not shit-faced for this. Same, same. Like, we're not nearly drunk enough to talk about the new... Uh, so so uh, Netflix uh, recently released a series, which I assume will be one season, because you kind of... You can't go, you can't... This is a, this is a limited series. series. Un- unless, you cannot go anywhere from Unless here. they do... And this is a thing I've thought about. All right, so the one we're talking about, obviously, is uh, the recent uh, series, The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. I wouldn't call it a remake. Not a... Or even a reboot. Or not even... Even kind of a reimagining. I, w- has, I would just throw re in the garbage. I, I think... Who was it who described... I, I think... Uh, who was it who described it as, like, based on a feeling I got? <laughs> it was you. No, 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 no actually, it was, it was Christina, uh, uh, who was like, uh, based on a feeling I got while reading The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. What I think happened is that Mike Flanagan was in talks with Netflix to do something new after Gerald's Game, uh-huh. and they were like, hey, we really want to do A Haunting of Hill House. Do you mm-hmm. have anything? And he was like, uh, yes. Like, the kid who was like, have you done your homework? And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and took an existing amazing amazing story that he had and like got a shaker of Shirley Jackson and just sprinkled it over the top. <laughs> exactly. And was like, sure. Yeah. I'll rename all the characters, but that's it. Mm-hmm. But and like, then like cram in some random Shirley Jackson references that don't mean anything. Also, nothing. just realize you have a bowler hat and that's really scary. Now the bowler hat you guy. should have worn it. Oh man, honestly, yeah, I, I should have worn that bowler hat that's <laughs> sitting over by the TV. <laughs> and stayed turned around. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, just my back to you the entire time while also yelling drug addiction <laughs> while doing jazz hands. Metaphor, 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 metaphor. metaphor. <laughs> um, and honestly, so I loved The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Yes, I think we need to make that clear right now. It's both of us oh fucking God. love this series. We're about to rag on it a bunch, yeah. but we love well, I, it. We, so it, it made me cry a lot. Um, yes, I, I, nobody warned you that you're going to cry your fucking eyes out. Well, okay, not cry a lot. I cried during one scene on this, which was I, I, um, the scene where he is waiting for a ride to show up, and he's trying not to relapse and, and find more heroin, and the bowler-headed man is just slowly advancing on him, and it's just like, please, just make it. Just make it to the end of this thing, and you'll be fine. Um, honestly, like, the emotional core of this movie, rock-fucking-solid. It's, like, on, like, we, we always, people always, and I say we, like, as if the entire mm. horror community of the oh, entire yeah. world is in that room with us, but, mm-hmm. you know, people constantly talk about how, you know, the true... The, the viscerati, if you will. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's, I uh, like that. All right, that's, that's good. Yeah, that works, okay. This is that, we're keeping that. Excellent. Uh, so... <laughs> The, you know, hor- like ghosts are always, you know, they're a metaphor from the past, mm-hmm. they're a me- metaphor for sadness and emotional trauma. Mike Flanagan takes that and straps it to a fucking rocket. Yep. Like, that is the, like you said, it's the emotional core of this. Mm-hmm. And that's why it bothers me that it's so jump scary. Because mm-hmm. you don't need any of that. The, the, like, he has such an intense emotional story going on here not just like one person's trauma but entire family's trauma right and all the individual traumas and then there are trauma together both in the past and in the new timeline and how mm. they're interacting with each other yes well just a big yeah. trauma orgy happening yeah on. Uh, yeah it's it, a, a big trauma orgy <laughs> that's the name of the episode now by the way and so thank you, you for that scary- oh, okay and, yeah. <laughs> and then you have all the scary stuff happening on top of it and you're like mm-hmm. oh this is amazing and then let's put in a bunch of jump scares, and you're like, "What are you doing?" Well, and and that's kind of the thing is that like I think one of I feel like maybe it's me. I, I don't remember that many jump scares. I think the, the main jump scare I remember 
is when Theo, who, by the way, uh, Theo, who everybody is in love with. Oh, God, yes. Because, first of all, uh, looks like that, which is, frankly, illegal and you need a permit. Second yes. of all, uh, disaster... Drinks a lot of bourbon. Yeah, also a disaster gay. Yeah, that's that's what it is. All of us looked into Theo and saw ourselves. Yes. It's like, drinks a lot of bourbon... <laughs> Makes the weird... abyss looked back into us, and it's Theo. <laughs> it's Theo. Um, and so I, the, the jump scare I remember was the scene between her and Shirley, where they're in the car, and then a fucking a, 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 a Frankenstein leaps out and goes, and yells at them, and they go off the road. And I, that was the... It, you know, yeah, and it's yeah. Um, Nellie. Yeah, Nellie, who and... dies at the beginning of the thing, which I don't, I don't think that's a spoiler. Like yeah. She dies very early on. In haunting, like what pilot episode I think right yeah because the first episode is called Steve sees a ghost so you're like okay cool something bad's gonna happen yeah 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 so Steve spoiler alert well and so Steve honestly uh he is a little clown dick and I want him to be buried in an unmarked he was my grave. least favorite part of it fuck also because he's Dario from Game of Thrones he's he, yeah he's he's Dario Harris from Game of Thrones also fuck Steve like he he's also like stupidly attractive like he yeah. shouldn't be attra- like he takes off his shirt and he's completely ripped and it looks like he's wearing one of those suits that you put on for Halloween like a, like a little kid wears to look like Superman and it's like yes. okay professor 12 year old you definitely look like that this Steve. guy is a writer mm-hmm. who investigates like goat like sorry dude you're not hitting the gym that much absolutely you are not hitting the gym that much and, and so he's uh, his character which I think is kind of a fascinating character it's a great character but yeah. the way that he played like right at the beginning when I heard him reading that first pair Haunting of Hill House has the greatest opening paragraph of any book ever. Yes. And listening to Dario from Game of Thrones read that, I Fuck was almost like, I'm out of it. Yeah, I'm yeah, out of here. Yeah. Fuck this I, shit. I, I got it. And, and I think that's, for me, especially as such a huge Shirley Jackson stan, the, 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 yeah, the moment I decided, you know what? I'm going to watch this show without any reference to Shirley Jackson yes. or The Haunting of Hill House and enjoy it on, on those merits. Relatedly, I like the movie Constantine and also the comic Hellblazer, and they have nothing to do with each other. Yep, I ca- just call it The Haunting of Schmelhaus. Yeah, The Haunting of Schmelhaus, yeah. Or Millhouse if you're into Simpsons. No and- one likes Schmelhaus. It <laughs> <laughs> um, just, because that's, the, I feel like the only weak parts of this entire series was mm-hmm. when they were shoehorning either Shirley Jackson references, uh-huh. which were so on the nose and painful, yeah. or Shirley Jackson dialogue. <sighs> which we should talk about, um... All right, so I don't know. Um, I feel like at this point, I'm, I'm kind of cool with doing light spoilers. Okay. Um, there's one thing I really liked. Well, I mean, there were many things I really liked about Haunting of Hellas. I think one of the main things that I liked a lot was that um, maybe it's just big 2018 mood. I realized. So the ending is kind of... It's not a happy ending, but it's kind of sentimental and kind of sweet. It's very it's very syrupy. It's, it's, it's syrupy. But I feel like for the kind of year 2018 has been... I was kind of good with it because I realized. After... You need, I feel like somebody because they had another ending to it that yeah. Mike Flanagan originally right, wanted. Right, right. Now there's the other ending, which also I've got fucking Sarah Kaling like Muppet facing at me from the couch right now, and their theory. I wish everyone had that at every podcast. Sarah, Sarah, please come here and explain your theory about the ending of Haunting of Hill House with its Mumford and Sons ass music and repurposing oh, yeah. of the opening. Hi, Sarah. Listen. Ladies and gentlemen. like, listen up, bitches. Listen. Sarah Gailey. I'm not on this podcast. No, no. You're the ghost of Sarah Gailey. But I've been shouting at Ryan Boyd about this for whatever duration of time it's been since we watched Hill House. I don't know. This year is so long. I yeah, there's been 30 many, years ago. Many. It's been 30 years. When we were but children. Yeah. All right. So here's the thing. Do your, do, do your rendition of the ending of Hill House. 
well, this this old house has sure seen some crazy storms, but everybody's happy now, and everybody who's here in the house walks together, and we all sit on the Cracker Barrel porch outside Hill House, and we're all best friends, and family's great, and everything's happy. You're so full of shit that your eyebrows smell. Mike Flanagan <laughs> broke his own... That's the thing that yeah. I have a problem with is the they spend the entire series building up Hill House as this malevolent entity. It eats and people. And then at the end, it's like... But no, it's bringing everybody together. And all walk there, no. walk to, and it repurposes. No! Both of you are wrong. <laughs> all right, so so explain why are why are we wrong? Okay, all right. Okay. I mean, right. I can't, I okay. can't. Tell I think you this is such why... a specific kink as having Sarah Gailey tell you why you're wrong. Oh, it's listen. <laughs> I can't tell fine. you what it is about you that makes you have wrong opinions, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I will tell you what my, I my think. My pants are not too tight. That's a, yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. With the ending, this is an enormous spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the movie, uh, shithole bad haircut son, mm-hmm. Steve. I love how we all know who that is. I love that his name is Steve, by the way, because it's a great name to curse. No. Steve. Fucking Steve. Fucking Steve. Fucking Steve. Right, at the end of the movie, Steve's dad is like, you have to keep the house and take care of it forever. And then Steve... Uh, even though he has had a vasectomy at the very end of the movie, is revealed to have a pregnant uh, wife who he was gonna ghost be sperm. divorced ghost from. Sperm. One of those ghosts knocked up his wife. Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. what happens. Okay, Casper's real friendly. <laughs> <laughs> so she's pregnant. The whole family is together. They think that they've escaped from the house, but Steve has a responsibility to the house. Mm-hmm. If you have a responsibility to the house and you have a relationship with the house and that's what the house wants. So Steve mm-hmm. is eternally connected to this house. It is mm-hmm. going to devour him and his nascent family, his child who is being born into this cycle mm-hmm. of horror and trauma forever. That is fucking terrible. And the worst part of it is that the entire family thinks that they're safe. They think that they are okay. They have been mm-hmm. swallowed by a beast and they are in the belly of the beast lighting a match and saying, well, I guess that's all behind us. So do you think the show knows that? I don't give a fuck. (laughs) I don't care what Netflix shows know. Do you think the Lumineers, presumably, or whoever the fuck they got to play that song over the outro, knew that? Like, it's listen. If they had dialed that song down into like even a halfway minor key, you would be into this. Would I? If it actually went like, oh, there's some kind of remaining menace. But like, uh, you know what it is? All right. So this is a huge spoiler. Uh, They repurpose. The opening paragraph of The Haunting of Hill House and change... Which is a cruel, cruel... It's like, have you ever made a great steak for someone and then mm-hmm. watched them put a bunch of mayonnaise oh, on it? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's perfect. So, uh, tell, t- tell, our, tell our listeners, what. how do they repurpose the opening paragraph of The Haunting of Hill House? Uh, they, so they uh, repurpose it as if it's a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Like, now everyone's, like, coming to the house to be together and whatever walked there walked together, together. instead it's of alone so, it, it, it's so bad like the, again like it feels like they're just breaking their own magic system like yeah. the whole thing time during this thing during the during the series they're setting it up as this like terrible house they never explain why which i kind of respect yeah actually i i'm, I'm kind of into that that it's yes. like you know what it's, it's sort of like, I don't need the backstory of whatever Edwardian robber baron was yeah, mean to his need, wife that cursed this house forever. Some houses are born shit. some houses are born bad. And that's okay. That's fine. But the fact that they were like, and this old couple is like, they, they specifically go, this old couple that's been working there 
for their like generations and generations. The Dudleys, yeah. And they're like, okay, cool. We're gonna make sure we die in the house so we can stay here forever to be with our dead daughter. The one that we're afraid of and resent and hate. It won't be an after dark. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. But yeah. now we're happily dying here with happy tears in our eyes as we embrace each other. Like, <sighs> no, yeah. no. And then Abraham Lincoln was still alive, and he comes in, and it's well. It's like reading a fantasy book, and at the end, the hero's like, I forgot to tell you for four hundred fifty pages, I can fly, bitch, <laughs> and I'm gonna save everyone's lives. You're like, wait, what? No. Well, and, 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 and obviously, like, we're, we're ragging on it a bit. Like, I, but it's, I, so, like, it's great, except, like, the last half hour, it's just like, I, you're like, yeah. I feel like it deserved, I feel like it deserved a better ending than the one that it had been working toward. And yes. also, now, the, the amazing stuff about this, the casting, Ugh. all of these kids are, are I would kill a, 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 an actual baby for any of these children. Especially baby Luke. With glasses on. Oh, and he can't see, he has to, like, squint up at everybody. huge eyes, and they're slightly crossed. And they did a really good job of matching the child actors with the adult uh, actors. That's, yeah. They, they like, look, an uncanny job of doing They so. look like the baby versions of the of the adult actors. And yes. also, the bits that killed me were, like, the twin bits with Shirley and Luke. Oh, yeah. That, like, once she dies, and it's he's left unmoored and yes. left to kind of, he's by himself, and it's uh, heartbreaking. Yeah, the, and, like, the emotional arcs of everybody are, they're so compelling. Uh-huh. It, like, the part oh. that I cried the most was when uh, Nellie is dancing with the ghost of her dead husband. Oh, kill me. I sobbed so hard. My partner was just like, oh. uh, I don't know how to help you. I love you. What they're, can I do for you? They're there. It's just sort of, yeah. Because <laughs> I wish, I could not, I, I yeah. feel like anything that you are triggered by or make like have it like i am from an estranged i'm estranged from my family and yeah. it's like my family is very similar to that family yeah so um the like stuff with nelly and her husband killed me but if you have any problems with family or drugs or relationships you're gonna fucking cry over something in hill house yeah and actually and i think that's what completely like makes the show like amazing for me is that it like the emotional core of it it makes all right. So going back to that thing I mentioned at the top of the show about binge watching and how that affects the way we consume stuff, I kind of don't know how to feel about it. But I know that shotgunning this series all the way through, emotionally, I was so I felt like I'd been lifting weights emotionally yeah. by the end of it. Like there's it's mm -hmm. so the emotional core of it is I think made with binge watching in mind, where there's like a sort of tension and resolution. There's another thing with it that like the scares in it, the atmosphere, uh on a horror level even to say nothing of metaphors and thematic consistency and all that stuff as a horror show it's fucking terrifying fucking terrifying and I think um, the thing that I resisted was I saw this I saw and I did this thing because I'm a fucking idiot because I have to google the thing while I'm watching it oh no to, because and this is a tendency that I have that I need to look at the IMDB trivia page I I never look at the trivia page, but I always, like, my thing is, I, oh, I reckon I'm really good with faces, and I'm like, oh, I know, what, what's that person from? And I, like, yeah. my poor partner's like, man, you shut your fucking phone off, because I'm, like, on IMDb <laughs> trying to figure it out what else they've been in. Yeah, and, yeah, I, oh, and I saw somebody had said that this is the first great horror TV show, which was a sort of, like, this is the first elevated horror TV oh, show. Oh, suck a dirty, smelly dick. Suck a dirty, smelly dick. This is a great show. Don't make me resent it by saying that everything else is, like, beneath. That's my least favorite horror take is when anything horror is good, they're like, ah, yes, horror is coming into its own as a genre. Mm, you can say that you like it now without feeling bad. Well, I mean, and, you know, especially in the last, what, six, seven years. Every time, like, when it happened with It Follows, it happened with, with Hereditary, witch. with The Witch, and in the, like, Babadook. 
And then, yes, they're all like, oh, yes, it's time yeah. that we can, like, hard out. Like, you can say that I like it at parties. Oh, yeah, fuck you. Which, yeah, fuck you, which also, uh, side note here, there's a thing that I don't think I've grossed about on the podcast, which is that I get really annoyed when somebody uh, characterizes, like, when, when you talk to somebody who, you know, doesn't watch horror, and that's perfectly fine, obviously. Like, horror is not, uh, you know, a thing that everybody should like. But when I hear somebody like be like, oh, I don't watch horror and it's bad, and then they characterize all of it as like, it's all just slasher movies, where it's like, dude, that hasn't been true since 1989. It's like, uh, oh, I don't like sandwiches. I went to Subway once. Yeah, and, and you're sort of, it's it's like, um, you know everybody's embarrassing dad who thinks that rappers still start every rap with, my name's a rapper and I'm here to say. And it's like that when they're like, oh, horror is just some guy yes. in a mask with a knife chasing you. Um, and like, so Haunting of Hill House, I feel like it... I, while watching it, a thing that I appreciated so much, I didn't feel like uh, there were moments in it that I was like, okay, there's the Rosemary's Baby shot. Oh, there's the Exorcist reference. Yeah. Like, I didn't I didn't feel like I, no, I could... it felt very... Fr- I mean, my, yeah. I really respect Mike Flanagan as a director. Mm-hmm. I loved Absentia because mm-hmm. uh, I'm a huge fan of troll things. Sure. Uh, I loved Oculus. I haven't seen Hush or didn't, Gerald's Game. Did not care for Hush, either the movie oh, or, the, or the or the response they had to criticisms of it. But that's sort well, of because I know it's really shitty to people disabled. who are hard of hard of hearing. Cor- yeah. So I and and, and and their response to people who raised very legitimate concerns was very bad. Yeah. So, but you know, I, I tried watching that without that in mind. And also, yes. Theo, of course, was the one who um, that actor was the one who wrote the script for Hush and was uh, tweeting real spicy about uh, it when disabled activists were like, "Ooh, that's not great." And she was like, "Well, fuck you, because I never considered anyone but myself for this part." And it's like, okay, okay hard pass, hard pass. Uh, um, yeah, I, uh, I, like, it really is beautiful. And the thing that bothered me about it is there's so many shots that are very, very unsettling. There's one shot where you see, you know, the statues in the hallway. They're facing the other oh. way. That's some unsettling, terrifying shit. You don't need the word, the, the, yeah, yeah, sound after need... every scare to, like, my, the Christopher my, Nolan blomp. Like, my thing is, yeah. if there's, if your jump scare is startling my cat. <laughs> It's not a good scare. It's yeah. just you're making a loud noise. You're yeah. eliciting a physical response from my fucking cat. Okay? <laughs> right. You're not scaring me. Yeah. Well, and that's also... And I think that that's one of the saving graces of the series is that the scares, if it lasts... Now, I, and I think that's, like, my litmus test for scares is, like, if the scare only lasts during the scare... Yeah. And I, I go home and I make a sandwich and I have a drink and I go to bed and I'm not thinking about any of it, it wasn't that effective. The images from The Haunting of Hill House from Netflix burrowed under my brain. Like, especially the bowler-hatted man gliding backwards. And also the bit where he's using his cane as an oar. Yeah, that was horrifying. Holy shit. And Gailey was the one who pointed out that, like, with with the scares in this, the really... um, Actually, I don't want to steal your thunder. Uh, Sarah, do you want to make the point that you made about uh, jump scares and how some scares people think are jump scares, but they're actually not... Please, please. I'm not on this podcast. You're not on the, <laughs> hey, hi, the ghost of Sarah. S- Sarah Geistly? Mm, yeah, well, don't like that. We'll work Also, that. I just want listeners to know that uh, the reason that I'm making all these faces is because I am sitting on the couch reading the Guillermo del Toro Penguin Random House version. This beautiful edition. The Haunting of Hill House right. for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, the point that I made about the jump scares in Hill House and all the scares in Hill House. Um, these scares are based in atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tension builds so much that it feels, I think, like there are a lot of jump scares. Like, there are a high density of jump scares in the Haunting of Hill House Netflix show. Mm-hmm. Even though there aren't, because the show builds tension so 
deeply and thoroughly and braids this uh, I'm sweating everywhere feeling into mm-hmm. you while you're watching it. You were you were sweating everywhere. Yes, I truly was. Yeah. Um, such that a thing will happen, like, for instance, the buller-headed man leaning down to look at Luke hiding under the bed. Oh, that fucks me up. We had to pause the show so that I could get up and take a lap around the apartment yeah. at that scene. It, it fucked me up so bad. That's not a jump scare, no. right? You see it coming, you see it coming from a mile away, and it happens slowly, and it happens gradually, and I still had the jump scare adrenaline startle reaction when the bullet-headed man leans down and lifts up the bed skirt. Yeah. And that, to and me, he, is... And he telegraphs it. Like, you see him yeah. doing this. I'm coming in as the person who is not here to take a dump on the Haunting of Hill House <laughs> Netflix show to yeah. say that I think that's the sign of immense craft on the part of the creators of the show, that it felt like there were so many more jump scares than there were. That's like a nice parfait, because you have all of the emotional traumas of everybody individually, and then you have them as they interact with each other in a family, and it does the very interesting, like, Amityville horror thing, where it's also an, an economic horror movie, mm-hmm. where, and maybe I'm sensitive to this because I was very poor growing up, Same. but this family cannot leave this house because they cannot fucking afford to. Correct. They're, like, this is the worst version of House Flippers ever. This, actually, that's a really great point. Like, have you, have you seen uh, The Taking of Deborah Logan? Yes. That same thing. It's also yes. on Netflix, and it's about, like, sort of, well, my mom is possessed. Um, but we can't I, afford home care. <laughs> exa- we can't afford home care, but this documentary crew wants to film my haunted mom. And they'll pay for and it. And they'll pay for it. So should I exploit my, my possessed mom? And I actually, that's one of my favorite horror tropes, because, like, and actually that's something I love about James Wan, because in a lot of James Wan's haunted house things, the family actually leaves that. They do, (laughs) characters in James Wan's stories do the things that you're shouting at the characters to do, and shit fucks with them anyways. Absolutely. But I love, because, you know, there's so many haunted house stories, there's so many ghost stories, and you're like, why don't you just leave the fucking house? But Mike Flanagan builds this in, and so they do in Arneville Horror and a few other things where... Taking up Deborah Logan's a great example. Like, you can see why these people are financially stuck in these situations. Yeah. And the parents in Haunting of Hill House are very clearly aware. Like, the mom sh- knows that she, she has second sight. The de- Like, everyone's aware that shit's going wrong. Yeah. Like, emotionally, something bad is in this house, but they're just like, well, can't fucking afford it. You gotta get this mold out so we can <laughs> sell this shitty, creepy house and yeah. get out of here. Yeah. And they were only supposed to be there for like, what, six to eight mm-hmm. weeks to flip this house. Yes. Like they were, this was not their fucking forever home. Like yes. they, they were, they were just trying to stay there so they could sell the thing. And every poor kid has been like, oh yeah, you'll just have to share a bed with your sister for a month. You'll just have to wear those broken sneakers for right. a week. Yeah. Like it's always that thing. So you can see the kids, and the kids at Haunting at Hill House God, have that's these, a great point. they have these conversations where they're like, oh, well, we're only going to be here for like, a few months we're only going to be here till the end of the summer and that hope is part of why this is so crushing because you yeah. see that they're they think they're not they're all dealing with this horrible shit because they think that they'll, they're going to get out of it soon well and and, the, and you get that scene with the family coming into the house and going we're gonna have, we're gonna have money at some point yeah, it's so crushing oh fuck man that and also i'm a mark for timothy hutton Mm. Who plays the dad? Uh, all you know, sort of old. The as an E.T. Old man. kid. The E.T. kid. It took me two episodes before I was like, 
where have I seen this person? Yeah, yeah, baby. Why does he look so strange as yeah. an adult? Baby Timothy Hutton. Yeah, it's weird. And also, he's got the worst blue contacts in the Ever. world. Ever. Oh, man. What the fuck? The Could whole not time look I was, more fake. I was like, is he, does he have a CGI face? Like, what is going <laughs> on with this person? Yeah, they actually weakened it, Bernie's his corpse, and just sort of like, yeah, so I'm the, yeah. Um, and Timothy Hutton has, like, the, honestly... I love that this move that that this movie. It's basically an eight-hour movie, yes. right? I mean, all, like, let's be real. All I, fucking shows now are eight-hour movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like I love so much that the Haunting of Hill House doesn't let Steve off the hook for being a fucking shit heel. Yes. Because he's the one who is will. And going back to the financial aspect of horror, because I feel like honestly, uh, and I'm you know, horror should have some kind of financial aspect for a narrative like this. Oh yeah. That's based in this kind of thing, and so. Um, Steve, who did not see the last night of Hill House because his eyes were covered and his dad was, like, booking it out of the house with him, he's he's the one in the story who's willing to profit from the trauma of his family while also telling all of them, that didn't really happen. You're full of shit. Dad killed mom. All of you were mistaken. You're all fucking hallucinating. You know, he, he basically, and I think he knows it to be true that this happened, but he gaslights them because he can't fucking deal with it himself. Yes. And the fact that he gets a vasectomy, doesn't tell his wife, nice fucking move, Steve. Oh my god, that was so, like, that's another thing. There's so much emotional horror oh, in this. Oh, man. Yeah, like the family horror. Holy fuck. That's, I don't even want children, and I was like, damn, dude, it, that's fucked up. It fucks me up real bad, and I think that that's the mark of, and honestly, Mike Flanagan is really good at that. Like, Oculus, when when dude, when Oculus Christina... punches you in the solar plexus. Well, when Christina and I saw it in the theater, like, she had a, a panic attack, and we had to leave because it was just... You were baller. I couldn't see that in the theater yeah because the atmosphere i couldn't either it turns out <laughs> <laughs> yeah because like the atmosphere was so claustrophobic and there's a very like there's something wrong with mom sort of feel which also the haunting of hill house you know that thing when your mom is like lana del rey and she wants to poison you <laughs> yes dude oh my god the fucking like the the scene in the last couple episodes when you realize what the mom wants to do oh it's so good it's but, so good but so what the fuck it makes me want to die i i it's so in terms of family horror i think this is in top five for me oh, um yes. first of all uh better than the shining because I kind of yes. hate The Shining. Because I think this is it's like hereditary bad. levels of yeah. Oh my god, I don't know whether to laugh or whether to cry or scream. Like yeah, well, and and like The Shining has no emotional core really. because no. which is weird. It's a, it's such a bummer because in Stephen King's book, mm -hmm. Jack is such a more empathetic character, and even though he's a piece of shit, and you see like you see so many sides to it that you're yeah. like. I feel sad for him as he's succumbing to his alcoholism. Exactly. You, but in the movie, he's just a straight-up fucking villain. Well, he's a straight-up villain, and the, like, Stanley... And honestly, like, Kubrick, I've really come around on because of Josh, because he's one of these motherfuckers who's really good at talking about movies and making you realize how good... I feel so bad for Shelley Duvall. Kubrick is. But, yeah, but, like, The Shining, I feel like there are exactly two real characters in the movie The Shining, and it's Jack Torrance and the fucking hotel. Yes. They're the only full characters in the thing because everybody else exists to make them look cool. To scream or whimper. To scream or whimper. And so, but the, uh, where was I going with that? The, family the horror. Yeah, family horror. The Honey Fellas. I feel like the, the emotional core is so much there. Also, Hereditary is a great example. Like, let's start, all right, so if we're looking at where... I am a hu I'm crazy about Hereditary. Oh, I really liked Hereditary a lot. Um, I had, I have beefs, beads. I have I have problems with it, but also I think it's outstanding. Yes, I think right now it is my favorite movie of the year. Nice. Um, just because, so I 
all the rank and file listeners are going to get real close to me, but I'm very open about all this stuff. I'm estranged from my both of my parents, mm-hmm. and I come from a divorce home. Uh, so watch the scene where Tony Collette is yelling at her family. Oh, is at so, dinner? Oh, my God. It that is so terrifying. Up. It's so emotionally terrifying. And when she wakes up covered in gasoline in her son's room. Oh, like man. It is like, I mean, there's so many, like, the... I mean, the last 20 minutes of that movie are balls to the wall, Yo. straight up fucking terror. I, 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 Yeah, and I love the fridge horror of Hereditary that I hadn't realized until, like, I was taking a shower the next day and realized, you know what's Hereditary? Decapitations. Yes. The grandmother, Tony Collette, Charlie. Yep. Like, all of them get their heads taken off. Yep. It's, oh, fuck me. It's, it's so good. But so much of that, it's like Haunting of Hill House, is that, yes, the scares are, like, very effective, uh-huh. but they are effective because of the, de- like, deep emotional <sighs> core to well, And, like, the most horrifying part of the movie to me in Hereditary was the scene where Charlie, the thing has just happened. Total silence. Yes. Kid is staring into space, dealing with this. Staring drives, at himself in the fucking mirror. Drives okay. home, gets into bed, stares forward, and then eventually hears... The mom scream. Yeah. Fuck me, dude. It's incredible. And so, all right, so starting with that... Uh, I hate to do this to you again. I have to break it your heart as I break everyone's heart every goddamn day on this podcast. Which do you think is better, Hereditary or The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix? Her- oh, Hereditary. Yeah. But it's hard to say because Hereditary you have almost like an hour and 45, I think, and Haunting of Hill House you have many episodes. Many, many yeah, hours. But Haunting of, or Hereditary is so flawless from <laughs> a technical perspective. It's beautiful. Yeah. The performances are incredible. Everything like Tony Collette especially. She's if she doesn't want a fucking Oscar, I'm gonna pull a David Lynch and just like sit out front with a giant fucking picture <laughs> yeah, of so Tony Collette. You're gonna be walking your cow with a giant bill yeah, that says nominate Tony Collette for an Oscar. It will be a giant pigeon. It, yeah, it's a pigeon. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I, I, mostly because I feel like Haunting of Hill House is more unwieldy. If mm-hmm. there's more room, there were a couple things in it. Hereditary is just hereditary. Haunting of Hill House is like a beautiful, incredible ha- uh, haunted house story mm-hmm. that is wearing like a, a, a jacket of ha- of Shirley Jackson references. It's a little too small for it. Agree. Yeah. I which I really yeah. And and I feel like you ever do that thing where you're like, I why do I approach the things I love by critiquing the shit out of them? That's how you, we're bad moms. That's how yeah, you know we love ex- you. That's exactly. It's tough love. Yeah. We want you to be better. Exactly. We know you can be better. And here are the ways. Here's the, here are the ways in which you have personally disappointed. Me, the haunting of the house. Um, so yeah, so I think yeah, hereditary is better. However, you know what? I and it, it grieves me to say this. I don't think the haunting of Hill House is better than Scream, the OG Scream '96. Yeah, again, it's Scream is so tight. Yeah, and and also so seminal for. I would horror. put it between Nightmare on Elm Street and Texas Chainsaw Two. Yeah, yeah, actually, same. I think it's um, doing a more interesting thing than Texas Chainsaw Two, and I love Texas Chainsaw Two. Yes, I love. I mean, the characters I think are just more lovable. Yeah. I, I think Tex- the original Texas Chainsaw is a flawless piece of art. Completely agree. But Texas Chainsaw Two, you're like, oh, I like you guys more. Yep, I think Phil Mosley. Texas Chainsaw is number one on our on our oh, list. So it's yep. We also very flawless. fond of yeah. Texas. It's fucking flawless. It's. A perfect movie. I want to hate like frame it and hang on on a wall. Yes. Also, I'm absolutely getting a Sally Hardesty at the end of Texas Chainsaw Tattoo at some uh, point because that, it's a perfect scene. It's a, per- it's a perfect scene. Oh fuck! I honestly, I feel like that's the the way to become friends with me. Anybody's like, hey, Sally Hardesty at the end of Texas Chainsaw. And I'm like, I know she got out. She was laughing because she got out. Anyway, anyway. Um. So. Sorry, I got worked up about Sally Hardesty again. So coming in, <laughs> uh, I feel good about that rating. Coming in at our new number forty-one. 
uh, above Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and the uh, original A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984 is The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Mallory, thank you so much for being on the show. This was so much fun. I've been really excited. Oh Ever, when, I, when I first became friends with you, I was like, I hope that they asked me to be on the yeah, I was, Honestly, I was so nervous. I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, they've got a really cool podcast. This is, oh, no. So, uh, Mallory, where uh, can our listeners find you online? And do you have anything else that you would like to plug? Uh, well, I mean, the main ones right now, you can pre-order or order from the library because I'm not a piece of shit. Sure. Uh, my book, The Lady from the oh, Black Lagoon. That, that, that Twitter post making the rounds again, by the way. Yeah, that makes me angry. Yeah. Um, please order my book from the library. It'll make me very happy. Or you can subscribe to Reading Glasses. Um, yeah, you can find me online. I'm Mallory O'Mara on every platform imaginable. Um, that's O-M-E-A-R-A. Uh, yeah. And yeah, thank you for having me on. This was fantastic. Holy shit, thank you so much. Um, so uh, you can find Rank and Vile online. We are permanently and abidingly shit posting on Twitter at Rank and Vile Cast. Uh, we are on Instagram at Just Rank and Vile, which is manned entirely by Quincy, who's doing the Lord's work. Uh, we are on Tumblr at Just Rank and Vile. If you have a horror movie that you desperately want us to talk about, like if you're sitting at home sort of grinding your teeth and being like, they haven't done Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, please don't. Please don't say that. Um, you're going to want to send that request over to uh, one of two places that uh, we are most likely to find it, which is our email address, which is rankandvilecast at gmail.com, or you're going to want to drop it in our ask box. Notice how I emphasize the K in that on Tumblr at just rank and vile. You we put are, your butts in the ass box. You put your butts in the ass box, and that's how podcasts work. That's yes. how the sausage gets made. Um, so we're also on Stitcher. We are on iTunes. Uh, we are in. Uh, we're not on SoundCloud. I don't know why every t every time I want to stress that we're not on SoundCloud. I'm not on SoundCloud either. Yeah. I don't know how SoundCloud works. I, it frightens me, and at this point, I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, that's all I got. Uh, have a good week, folks.